Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com. We're going to go to Romans chapter 12. Uh, this is part three, and I'm going to read uh, from verse one all the way through verse eight. We've been taking it verse by verse. We're going to go after a chunk today. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship or reasonable worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now this is where we start today. This is our new verses in this chapter, verse 3. It says, For the, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. We could probably just preach on that one for a little while, but I'm going to move on just because that's uncomfortable. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. These are the groups of verses uh, that we're going to tackle today. And I want to encourage you, if you missed part one or part two, you can go back on the website, uh, on the podcast, on YouTube, and find it because all of these work in succession. And so part one we talked about through the lens of mercy. It says, therefore... Now, in view of God's mercy, and we talked about this, and if you remember, I used an illustration that was better in my mind than it actually was played out as I put on sunglasses to try to illustrate through the lens of mercy, and then I was the guy up here preaching in sunglasses, and so that was odd. Um, but anyways, if we can view through mercy, if we can see all that God's done for us, when he asks for us to be a living sacrifice, it seems reasonable. That's just because of what he did. Now, you got to get that to go into Romans 12, 2, which is now, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now, we're told not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world in view of God's mercy. And we talked about a display discrepancy. We had a computer here as an illustration, and the display only shows what is contained in the computer. The display is not going rogue. It's not just like showing up whatever, whatever it wants to show. It is a slave to what is contained. So Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. This picture is a transformation from the inside out. So instead of trying to change our display, God says be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is changing from the inside out. So now in view of God's mercy... And now our transformation has taken place. Now we get it into verse, chapter, verse 3 of Romans chapter 12. And our title today is Faith Buckets. All right, Faith Buckets. Anybody watching the NBA right now? Okay, that's happened in the first service as well. There's three of you. Um, everyone's watching NFL. 
and, and, and baseball playoffs, and uh, we're going to wait till the playoffs to watch all the super teams compete in the NBA. But there is a term for making baskets, people would say making buckets, okay? And so we're going to talk about some faith buckets. We're going to talk about some ways uh, to, to really move forward uh, in, in, in your faith through this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 12. After full surrender in verse 1, after transformation in verse 2, Paul now tells us how we should minister. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but we're all ministers. You're a minister, I'm a minister. This is not talking about pastors. This is not talking about leaders or people on staff. This is we all have a gift and we all are ministers. Paul was writing to Christians of local churches in Rome. So when we have Romans, it wasn't to the church at Ephesus like Ephesians is to. It wasn't to the church of Rome. It was different. It was to a group of local churches that they were sending the letter Romans, which means that they weren't all the same church, but Paul was trying to encourage them and trying to bring to their understanding that the church as a whole, the church as a whole, that's, that's not church 1132, th- th- that's the body of Christ, that's the churches you agree with, that's the churches you don't agree with, that, that, that's the churches you like and the churches that you don't like. Paul was writing to these Christians to show them that they were a part of a greater body. He was telling them, we belong to each other. We actually minister to each other. And, believe it or not, we need each other. This was the message of Paul to the churches, is that we all are connected to the body. Now, the mistake that I think that we make sometimes is that we think when we're talking about the body, we're talking about our church right here. And we think there's no way that we could actually be talking about the other churches in Allen or the other nine churches on Greenville. Like, we're talking about us because we are the body. But, but, but we're only a part of the body. Like, we, we're, just, we're just a part. So that means that every other church is a part of the body as well. Now, this kind of gets me sometimes because we love to pick out what churches are really doing it and what churches really aren't. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, oh, yeah, that church, mm-hmm, yeah, you know. It's like, what? Oh, you know, that pastor says, or this, did you know we're all one body? Let, let me help you with this. Is all the other churches aren't listening to what we're saying or to what we're posting and saying, yeah, we probably should change that. So, in effect, we are not making a difference by the things that we post or by the things that we say Paul in this book is telling us how we should function personally to then affect the church corporately. And he says, you're a part of the body. Now, a lot of people, they they like to kind of throw rocks at other churches that maybe they don't think are preaching the whole gospel. I can think of a couple large churches with a couple very known pastors that people like to say things about and say they're not preaching this or they're not preaching that. And I would just like to quote a scripture for you. Just, just, just a scripture, okay? Just take it how you want, but, but this is what the Bible says. This is what Paul said. He, he said, um, whether by wrong motives or true, the only thing that matters is that Christ is being preached. Let me, let me just help somebody. He said, from, from even wrong motives, Paul said, ah, that's good, because Christ is being preached. Because the power is not in the messenger. The power 
is in the message. And to think that the message of Jesus Christ is not getting out because some man or some church stood in a way that didn't preach it exactly how we would preach it is to underestimate the power of the gospel. The gospel is the good news, the good news of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, the Bible says the kingdom of God is advancing. It is moving. It is making progress. It is growing. And I don't know... If we have been given the gift of recognizing what part of the body really is a part or not. You know, I, th- I think sometimes we kind of like get into that. Like, like I'm the hand, but I'm also the slapper. And I'm going to find any other part of the body that's not doing what we do. But, but the foot operates different than the hand. And, and the elbow operates different than the knee. And, and the, but we look at our expression, and then we look at someone else's expression, and we think, ah, they're not doing it right. While at the same time, they could be sitting behind the same computers looking at us and saying, we're not doing it right. So what it leaves us with is what Paul's trying to say is, I've got to pull my eyes inward. And I should not think of myself more highly than I ought. Now, I've got this bucket up here, and I'm sure many of you are wondering why this is here. This was not left over by the cleaning uh, people. This is like, this is, this is a bucket. This is what it says in Romans 12, verse 3, in the King James Version. It says, each of you have been given a measure of faith. Now, many people believe that to say that God has given you an amount of faith that you can use, and that's what you have. And that's the amount that you have, and that's all the amount that you have. That is not really the interpretation of that scripture. The interpretation, proper interpretation of that scripture is that God has given us each a bucket. And that bucket grows or expands based on our use of it. So let me just, let me just illustrate this. Faith is this. Faith is throwing my faith, my bucket, my measure into God's grace into God's goodness and trusting that when I pull it out, it will be full of what I need. That is faith. That's, that's what this type of faith is. So you've been given a measure of faith. So some people say, well, I can't, I can't teach, Pastor, because my measure of faith is smaller than your measure of faith. No, you've been given a measure, but it's grown by your use of it. It is enlarged, it's expanded by how you use it. And the way we use it is by throwing our faith or using our faith in full belief that when we pull it out, it will contain exactly what we need. Faith lowers an empty bucket into the well of God's gifts and expects it to come up full. The picture is that God gives us the bucket, but we determine the capacity. God gives us a measure of faith, but we determine how full it gets or how large it grows to. Now, there's a couple things that I want to make mention of as we dive deep into Romans 12, 3 through 8. And this is an equation, all right? So we're going to talk about an equation because if we just run after the gifts talked about in Romans chapter 12, 3 through 8, if we just run after the gifts, but we do not read the beginning, we will use the gifts in the wrong way. So you gotta have, you got to see the progression of the gifts of God. So the first one, grace fuels gratitude. You, now you got to get this. This is basically what this is saying is that grace looks through the lens of mercy 
And because of all that God's done for me, it, 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 it results in gratitude. Gratitude is a natural byproduct of me seeing through the lens of mercy or seeing the grace of God. Now, for each equation, I'm going to read to you from the message uh, translation. It's a paraphrased translation of the original, and it kind of speaks in more modern vernacular of kind of how we would say it and sometimes adds more context to, to our own understanding. Verse 3 of Romans chapter 12 in the message, it says, I'm speaking to you, Paul speaking, out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. Paul speaks out of place of deep gratitude because of the great grace of God on his life. Now, if you know the story about Paul, Paul used to be known as Saul. And Saul was a bad, bad man. I mean, the, the Bible says that he was finding Christians and he was getting them incarcerated. He was finding people that would meet together, followers of the way or followers of Jesus. And he was persecuting him. This is what Saul was doing. So when Jesus encountered Saul on the road to Damascus, Saul transformed to Paul. He changed his name. And he began to write. He began to write two-thirds of the New Testament. He began to preach. He took the gospel to the Gentiles. And so now everything that he's doing is through the lens of what God did for him. Now, that grace fuels his gratitude. And he says in the scripture, in the message translation, he says, I'm filled with the gratitude. I'm filled with gratitude. Have you really considered what Jesus did for you? Has it been a while since you thought about what he saved you from? About how he rescued you? About how his grace found you? See, that grace, or through the lens of mercy, fuels gratitude. James chapter 4, verse 10, it says, humble yourself. Would you stop right there? Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Many of us, we like to wait until life humbles us. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to choose to do it myself. I just like, I like that option better. It's like, I'm going to try it. I'm just going to give it a stab. And if I, if I mess up, then yeah, you can humble me. But I'm going to at least give it a shot. This is humble yourself. You ever prayed those prayers that you know you shouldn't pray? Like, Lord, give me patience. Lord, make me humble. It's, it's, we said this last week is God will never give you patience. He will never give you humility. He gives you people. Right? That, that, that make you humble and that make you, he gives you that boss. Then you're like, oh, oh, that's humility. That's, he, 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 gives you, he gives you that kid. I mean, is that too real? Is that too real? Okay, surely not. Surely not. Only in the other services. Uh, but this is, this is what, this is what the, James says. He says, humble yourself. And this is what Paul says in verse 3. He says, don't think of yourself too highly. And this is the problem that we have in the body is that everything is comparison. 
As we compare each other's gifts and we compare each other's standards and we compare how we live to how someone else lives and makes us feel better or our status to someone else's status. But Paul's saying, don't think of yourself too highly. And Paul understood this because he was educated. Paul was a learned man. Paul was advancing beyond his years in wisdom and education. And he, but he recognizes that when the grace of God found him, that now he's, felt with, he's filled with gratitude. And this is it. This is the t- that we have to live in between knowing that we're nothing but knowing that we're something in him. No one has the right to boast about his or her gift. Each member should bear in mind that his ability to serve others is a product of God's grace. That my ability to serve is a product of God's grace. You know, I think sometimes we think that we've actually done something. Like, we actually, like, well, I'm, I, I actually, you know, went to school for this. I'm educated. I, I studied on YouTube for 13 years. It's like, yeah, great. But everything that God's given us is still a product of God's great grace. And, 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 and this is the tension that we have to live in. Like we talked about it is, I know that I'm nothing apart from him. But I also know that I'm something in him. So I don't walk around lowly. Like I'm nothing because I have confidence that I actually am something, but I recognize the something that I am is from him. This is that scripture, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. And some believers like it right there. Maybe even to back up a little bit. I can do all things. Oh, I can do all things. I can do everything. I can do all. I'm a Christian. I can do it. But we forget that it's through Christ. So, so we have confidence but no dependence. But this is the beauty. This is the beauty is I have confidence because of my dependence. That, do you see that? that? That's the tension is I know that I can't do anything apart from him, but I can do everything through him. And so that is the tension that I now live my life in is I don't judge how, that I'm better than someone else. I think of myself less because I know that it's only by the grace of God that I am anything or can do anything. We cannot overrate or underrate ourselves. We have to live in the tension. And this is what this produces. Grace fuels gratitude, but gratitude fuels purpose. Gratitude fuels purpose. Chapter 4 in the message, it says, in this way we are like, or verse 4, says, in this way we are like the various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. We find our purpose. But as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something that we aren't. This is how the message communicates this to us. And this is what gratitude does, is when I realize what God's done for me, Desire begins to grow in me to do something for him. When I really see that God has done something so huge for me, I really see God's grace, I really see his mercy, then all of a sudden in me begins to grow this desire 
to do something great for God. When we realize that all we have to be grateful for, all that we have to be grateful for, it produces in us a desire to advance the kingdom of God. Each believer is a living part of Christ's body, and each one has a spiritual function to perform. Did you know that you have a function in the body? Well, pastor, I'm here. You know, that's asking a lot already, but I'm here, and and I love Jesus, and that's great. That's great. But when you begin to see God's grace, you will begin to get grateful. And when we begin to get grateful, it will produce in us a desire. Just this thing. You remember when you were young and, and you could, like, you would dreamed about, like, being something? You know, like, all the different things. Like, I was going to be a doctor for a while, and then I couldn't stand blood. You know, I'd pass out, and, you know, it's just, that one wasn't going to work out well. And, and so then I'm going to be a police officer, and, and I thought that would be kind of cool. And, and then I was going to be an NBA basketball player, an NFL football player, a major league baseball And none of those really worked out. Um, but... I I kept on changing what I wanted to be, but I was a dreamer. I I think about these things like I wanted to be it. But reality sets in as you get older and older, and then you're regulated down to just what you can do, not what you could do. This, This is like age, right? This is maturity. But it's also kind of sad. Because you remember when you're just like, oh, man, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to be a billionaire, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to fly people to church with my private jet, and it's going to be amazing, and all this. But then reality sets in, you got to, like, pay your rent. You know? It's, it's this, it's just like, sometimes, you know, when we're dealing with young people, it's like, just give them a little bit. Life will teach them, right? Life teaches you. Life teaches you. It's like, like you know, you can't call mom all the time. You know, life will teach you, like, oh, I got it. I have to pay. Oh, I have to. Food doesn't make itself. Like, I got to learn how. I still haven't learned that, but um, I've got a wife that really, really has a lot of grace, and grace fuels gratitude. And gra- Anyways, save that for another time. When you get older, reality sets in. And I think this happens spiritually as well. Do you remember getting saved? And you started thinking, like, what you were going to do. Like, oh, I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to sell everything. And then you're like, oh, do I really want to sell everything? It's like, whoa, whoa. And then a mature believer came up to you. This happened to me when I was 16 years old. A mature believer came up to me and be like, you're a radical now. <laughs> but when you get older, <laughs> you, you'll calm down a little bit. And I'm like, oh. And what I found to be true is that that was just their own excuse not to do something with their life. And it made them feel better when they saw me to make me feel bad about my passion and my desire to do something great for God because that would give them a pass for doing nothing. Is, that, is this okay? I'm sorry over there in Wiley. Is that, is that too much? Okay, I, I'm, just, I'm, just trying to, I'm, I'm just trying to shoot straight with you is that we, we, we begin to diminish the call of God on our lives because reality sets in and we don't have enough trust to throw the bucket and believe that God's actually going to do something for us or in us. Gratitude, it fuels purpose. I read this in a commentary this week. The walls of the heart are elastic and desire expands them. Do you know how you grow your measure of faith? By desire. 
It is by actually wanting to do something. And this is what is so amazing about God is that God never gives you a dream just so that you can be called a dreamer. God never gives you a compassionate heart just so that you can have a compassionate heart. God never gives you a desire to change the world just so that you can have the desire to change the world. Because this is true. Gratitude fuels purpose, but this is also true. Purpose fuels gifts. See, sometimes we just stay at purpose. Man, I love that church because I think it's just given me a lot of purpose. If purpose is where you stay at, you're missing the part of the equation. You started the equation, grace, gratitude, purpose, but that's not the end. Because along with that purpose, God has given you unique gifts. A gift that God's given you. Now, no, this is the problem is that most of us, we regulate these gifts to only the areas that our local church has to serve in. I'm just going to tell you something about the gifts of God. They're beyond what we have in 301 as places that you can serve. They're beyond that. You've got a gift that's inside of you as a result of the purpose God's growing in you. In the message, it says this. If you preach, just preach God's message. Nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantage, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. Purpose fuels gifts. Once we have a desire to be used by God, he gives us unique gifts to use as we obey him. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, it says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So we all are gifted differently, but we're all gifted by the same person. Or let me say it this way, is that each of us, really, in the body, will have as much of God or much gifts as he desires and is capable of containing. So if I can be faithful to throw my faith, God will enlarge my capacity. The body will work if each part is working. Let me say it this way. All the members don't have the same function, but all of the members have a function. So now this gets really uncomfortable because we love to think about our pastors as having a function. And we really like to think about of our pastors having our function so that we can sit in the padded seats and they can carry out the function. But this is not what Paul is saying. Paul was not writing to the pastors of the churches. Paul was not writing to the leaders in the churches. He was writing to the people of the churches. And he said that you are uniquely gifted. You have a unique function. You have a unique, unique skill set that is supposed to help you in fulfilling your purpose. It might look different for you. It might be something silly. It might be something where you would think it's silly. It might be something huge. It might be something grandiose. It, it, God has gifted you uniquely. And those gifts are needed for the body to work together. Not just Church 1132, but the body of Jesus Christ. All the churches on this street, for us to work together, each has a gift and each has a function. 
And we have to respect the function of one another. And come, if my left hand acts up, it is not my right hand that comes over, grabs it, and manipulates it to try to make it do what it should do. The instruction, the correction, and the movement have to come from the, the head. The head. No, it's, it's the head. But we think that we could actually be successful in grabbing the church down the street and helping them move and walk. No, you've got to be a faithful steward over what God put in us as an expression, as a piece, as a part of what God is doing. Our purpose fuels our gifts, but that's, that's not it because if we stopped right there, we would think that the goal would be to have gifts. And then we would look around at everybody's gifts. And we'd say, oh, wow, you had great purpose, and now you have great, great, great gifts. But there is a reason why, and this is where we're in today, there is a reason why we have gifts. And gifts fuel cause. That's, that's why you're gifted. Oh, I'm not gifted to be a superstar? No. No, you're gifted to play a part. You're gifted to advance the kingdom of God. Wait, I'm not gifted to like make, my, make myself successful? Nope. It might be a byproduct of what you're doing, but the, the main reason, the main cause is to advance the kingdom of God. What would happen if we had a church that did not think more highly of themselves than they ought, but they were fully content in functioning as the part of the peace that God has ordained us to function in? And we just all encouraged and built up and taught and gave mercy and had faith and gave, we just worked as the body. You know what would happen? The world would begin to take notice that that the church was not busy comparing with the church down the street, but they actually were becoming more Christ-like and thus making a difference in the world. But we are so concerned about the doctrine of every other church that we are abandoning the gift that is lying right within us. I'm saying don't look to the right and don't look to the left, but do what Hebrews chapter 12 says and fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and begin to function in the gift that God has given you. Well, pastor, how do I know my gifts? We've got Connect Class 301. Connect Class is coming to Wiley in November, and you can begin to discover what your gifts are. But you know what? If there was a crisis right now, we had a crisis right here, we would begin to see gifts go into motion. Some of you would begin to organize. Naturally, you begin. some of you would begin to comfort. Naturally. That's just how you would react. Well, that's just my personality. No, no, no. That, that's something that God put in you. That, that's a gift. Some of you would begin to pray. Some of you would have faith to believe that the situation's about to turn around. You're annoying. Um, you know, when you're really in a crisis, like, just have faith, brother. Just have, it's like, shut up. But I, I will, I will. Every gift is needed and gifts are usually seen best in the midst of a crisis. But the problem is that most of us run from crisis, and we run to comfort. And so now our churches have become places of comfort instead of places of challenge. 
and because they're places of comfort, this is why some people don't like our church. Because I'm not really interested in making a comfortable place for us. I'm not looking for a holding pen. I'm looking for a movement. Uh, I think that's what God wants us to be. I think that's what he wants to build through his church. But you know what? We don't need another superstar church. And we definitely don't need another superstar pastor. What we need is a collection of men and women of God who understand that I'm nothing without him. But I'm something with him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've got confidence and I got dependence. What I think is so interesting is that sometimes we think that our, and we use our spiritual gifts to fight each other. But we've lost the cause. And I like to say it this way. I wrote this down for you. Spiritual gifts are tools to build with, not weapons to fight with. Now, you got to understand this as we close, is that Paul was the writer of Romans, but as Paul wrote this, we can't abandon his story that we talked about in Acts chapter 9. It says that Saul, his previous name, was on the road to Damascus, and out of the sky a bright light shone, and a voice came from heaven. It was Jesus, and he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I don't know about you, but that would get my attention. Saul looks up, the light was so bright, the Bible says that he went blind. And as he's blind, the Bible talks about this series of events that's just wild. They lead him to a certain guy's house. Another certain guy hears the word of the Lord that he should come and pray for Saul because this is God's chosen vessel. And so he obeyed. All the gifts are working in action. And then I found this verse in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, that is exactly our equation today that I want to give to you. It says, but the Lord said to Ananias, this is the guy that God was sending to heal Saul, who, who we know as Paul. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. You say, well, that's, that's interesting. That's cool. No, this, this is what God was saying. He's saying, he's seen my grace. And now he's very grateful. But that gratitude is producing in him a purpose. So I need you to go and to heal his eyes so that he can be equipped to go about his purpose and use his gifts so that he can advance the cause. Now, if we stopped it right there, it would be amazing, but it doesn't stop there. We know that Saul then is changed to Paul, and Paul goes on this tirade of sharing the gospel, the gospel that he meant to destroy. Now he promotes, he pushes, he preaches, and people begin to get saved by the thousands, and the gospel spreads, not just to the Jew, but to the Gentile as well. Thank God that's us. And this gospel begins to spread around the globe because God saw in Paul not just someone that he wanted to touch, not just just someone that he wanted to reach, he saw in him a gift that would help further the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, God loves you, he sees you, he knows you, but he also wants to use you to advance his kingdom. He's not just about your comfort, he's not just about you being okay, he is about using you to advance the cause of Christ. And the gift that he's given you is not a gift so you can say, I have a gift. The gift that he's given you is a gift to use so that you can advance the kingdom of God. This would be way more popular if we talked about God wants, you to, God wants to give you a gift and then everyone's going to recognize you as the gifted one. 
I wish I could preach it that way. It'd be way more popular. I mean, people would love it way more. It's like, God's going to make you famous. And we'd be like, ah. but, but it, it, that's why Paul has to start it the way he starts it. And he says this. Be careful not to think too highly of yourself. Right before he tells you all the glorious gifts that God's going to give you, he has to start it the same way he started verse 1, in view of God's mercy. In verse 2, we see him. You ought to be transformed. And in verse 3, he has to say the same thing. He's got to say, don't think of yourself too highly. These gifts aren't for you. They're for me. I'm putting something in your heart. I'm putting something in your hand. I'm putting something in you to make a difference. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.